All right, hello everyone, and welcome back to another edition of The Less Stressed Life, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. And I'm joined with a real special guest today, Frank Benedito, who is on a mission because he sees the flaws in the healthcare system. And his mission is really disrupting healthcare, helping clinicians reimagine and repackage their skill set to change the world. So, Frank, so much, thank you so much for being here today. Joel, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah. So listen, I'm just going to be totally transparent. Uh, I, you and I have a, a mentor that is, is we have in common. And we had a, a mastermind meeting last week. And when I heard you speak, you were a guest speaker for him. I was like, okay, I got to talk to this guy. Because as soon as you opened your mouth, I know we had that same frequency and vibration and alignment and coherence. And, and really, you started off with your personal story, and you and you also let us know what what drives you uh, every day to um, to to make a difference in the world. So why don't you share that with with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate those kind words too. So uh, my story is a little dark. My story my story is is not one that was born from a, from a place of of positivity, and um, it pretty much started, I'll give you the background. I was, I was 17, luckily knew what I wanted to do with my life. Somehow I broke my leg and said, I am going to be a physical therapist. And even at that young age, my, in my college application, I had finished with saying that I was going to revolutionize the field of physical therapy by incorporating positive psychology. And that young me, I almost looked back, like, how the hell did I even sense that there was something wrong at that young age? But I think everybody knows I think that, they're, that the, the typical consumer, if they spend any amount of time reflecting on what the healthcare system is right now, it is so obviously broken, we're all just allowing it. So fast forward, I become a doctor of physical therapy. I become double board certified, top 1% of PTs in the country, if you want to judge it by that credentialing. And uh, I always had life in the palm of my hands. I was 26 years old, double board certified, bought a house, had two kids, married, and then tragedy strikes. Um, my dad, 64 years old, passed away of a heart attack right in front of me and I imploded. I, I spun down a path of uh, drug abuse and alcoholism. I had pushed away nearly everyone close to me. I, I, uh, I lost everything, you know, and that huge head start I had, I had erased it. I was $200,000 in self-created debt, not from student loans. And after I had sold my house, Joel, that takes a lot of mistakes. That's, that's, a, that's, that's master level mistake making right there to get 200K in debt. And uh, my 30th birthday, I wake up just an absolute loser. And I think 30, every decade, we have this image of who we think we're going to be. On my 30th birthday, I could not have been farther from the person who I thought I was going to be. And it was an inflection point. I happened to hit on some motivational videos, trying to just muster the energy to get through the day. And there was this one line and he said, this year, this year is the year I'm going to make this goal become reality. And, uh, and I got out of the shower that day and I literally declared it. I said, I am, I will. And I always thought I was going to be a millionaire by the time I was 30, kind of an immature goal, you know, just rooted in Oh, uh, emptily in money. And in that moment, I decided I was going to make a million in my 30th year since I had failed so miserably. 30 days later, 
I launched my first business with two of my friends. We go direct to consumer, which is not typically how physical therapy works. And we made 1.1 million in our first year, no advertising, no physician referrals, all direct to consumer. And that's really when it, when this mission started, because I, I, I did something that they said really couldn't be done in the physical therapy world, which is, which is to, to exit the medical model. Uh, we had built and built that practice up. We sold it for several million dollars late, uh, three years, four years later. And then I pursued my real passion, which was inspiring other healthcare professionals to follow my, my path and reimagine, repackage their skill set so that they could treat in the way that they believe. And I believe very much in line with your philosophy, the majority of our chronic health conditions are coming from this overworked, malnourished, under-exercised, stressed out archetype of a person who I was for those years between my dad and I had to go through a lot of self-healing, both physiologically, emotionally. And uh, I'm excited to dig in more with you about how we as a profession can help that, that archetype. Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing your mission. And I think I always, and you've heard these success leaves clues. And I think, you know, our mess is our message, which we learned. And ultimately, um, that's the success of why you can help so many people is because there's no facade, you, you know, you're, you're transparent and you've, you're, you're vulnerable, which makes people understand that you're, you're not holier than thou and you can help them. And I think that kind of aligns with the changing of the, the health, the way it's, it's delivered as well. But I wanted to just go back. I didn't write it down already. I have already some notes here, but what was it, the, the phrase or what was, how did you want to revolutionize physical therapy with the psychology? What was that term? What did you say with that? Yeah. So I, my 17 year old me declared that I was going to revolutionize the field of physical therapy by incorporating positive psychology. Incorporating. And, right. Got you. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, yep. So I believe that there's still a massive issue with what we call nocebo language. Nocebo language is the impact that a healthcare professional has, the, the impact their words has physiologically. So we typically think of nocebo or placebo with pills. I could give you a sugar pill and say, listen, now there's a 20% chance you're going to develop a headache. What happens? of a good chunk of the people who take that and hear that they get a headache. It was a sugar pill. What we don't realize is that we don't actually need the pill. It's the words that are causing that. And there are so many interactions in a traditional healthcare providers day to day where it's become routine. They're not even conscious of the words they're saying. And those words can either heal or hurt us. And part of our mission is to help healthcare professionals build sustainable businesses around the, the ethical way to treat because the medical model perpetuates nocebo language. Yeah, with the anchoring of the positive, positive mental psychology leading the way, right? right? And so, so one of the things I wanna just kind of comment on is 17, I did not know, I, I was nowhere near you on 17 and how prophetic you were on that. In fact, I screwed around my first two years of college. Um, I, I was away from home for the, for the first time at 19 years of age. I was on the varsity soccer team. 
going to class was an option. Um, I just knew that, okay, I got to get enough to get by, right? I just got to get enough to get by. I don't really know what I want to do. And I say, Frank, I tried, like you try either to do well or you try to do poorly. And I went out of my way to do poorly, like not going to all the classes, um, taking like, okay, like you would have like, say a, a, a quiz and it would be Monday, Wednesday, Friday's class, Monday, Wednesday, Friday's class. So you'd have to have 12 weeks of notes or 12 notes for four weeks. And I wouldn't have Mondays and I wouldn't have Fridays and maybe the next, and I did like really well on the ones that I had, but I didn't do well on the ones that I didn't have. And it meant my GPA was low and I did really poorly to, uh, to I went out of my way to do poorly. Those were my first two years. And then I was a trainer, personal trainer. After I graduated, I brought my GPA up in, in second and th or third and fourth year. And hey, you know, it's interesting when you try how, how it's easier, you know, and it's, it's amazing how much easier this is. This is the whole point of it. I tried to get into the chiropractic college in Canada and it bit me in the butt because my first two years were so poor. So what I did was I went back and I really enjoyed psychology. So I got a second degree after exercise physiology. I got it in psychology and I loved psychology. Once again, I didn't get into the Canadian chiropractic college because they didn't consider that second degree full time because when your GPA applies to getting in, it needs to be full time. So I had Dean's honor roll, like amazing grades and I didn't get in. And I thought, what a friggin' waste of time to get a psychology degree. I could have just gone to the States and I grew up in Toronto and I could have just taken a fast track course and got in and how wrong I was. And that's the whole point of what I'm talking about is I'm so grateful now, Frank, that I have that psychology degree because that positive mental psychology practice is what we do every day. Right. And I'm so grateful that I, that I have that. So with that being said, let's go down that rabbit hole in terms of, okay, you're 30 years old. You have this mission of, 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 of changing the way that physical therapy and for that matter, healthcare is practice with an emphasis on positive mental psychology. Take us through, take us through the steps of that and, and how you've evolved in terms of what you see being wrong with the healthcare model and, and how you change that ship in the ocean. Yeah. So I think it starts with getting paid on your outcomes, not on your time or complexity of your services. What I mean by that is that there's this growing notion that we, there, there's an understanding that the health, the health insurance field is so broken, yet many clinicians are afraid to leave it. And what I like to say is it's time to put your money where your outcomes are and actually get paid to help people. Now, the insurance industry has tried to trick providers into thinking that that means taking outcome-based questionnaires that they have set. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is it sounds like you get paid to help people remedy their adrenal condition. You have a very specific outcome. I'm going to help you go from tired, burnt out, sickly, no energy, non-exercising, eating like shit. I'm going to help create this new version of yourself, vibrant, energized, healthy, fulfilled. That promise is what you sell, deliver upon that, and your reputation will grow. Word of mouth referrals will come. Marketing will be easy. But it's because you declared what the outcome was. 
most healthcare professionals get paid off of the delivery of a service, regardless of the outcome. Me as a physical therapist, I could make an entire 30 year career delivering treatments that don't work. No one will stop me. The insurance will keep paying. The medical doctors will keep referring. There's a gap between the payor and the outcome. Therefore, it is allowed to perpetuate for eternity. Yeah. I mean, and there's so many ramifications of that because if you're now creating a, a more effective outcome, that should be the standard of care or the standard of care changes and demands change. Um, but one thing I want to digress with, I had a client who was a, uh, um, just a he, not just a, but he was a family practice practitioner and a traditional approach doctor. And I didn't realize, I, I think this is like a dirty secret. Maybe you can elucidate this a little bit, but he was part of a managed care network. And the way that those doctors get compensated was really scary it, 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 to, to hear about sort of the, the in-between. And, and so basically he was telling me in some way, shape or form where I didn't quite understand it, where Medicare versus opting out and doing what the alternative is. And it behooves them to get the ones into Medicare that aren't as sick or don't demand as much um, services versus other ones that would be led into this managed care. And what's happening is, to your point, it's not, it's not delivering the outcome based on the standard of care that works. It's deciding on how to use the system for most reimbursement based on if that person's healthy or not. It just made me sick to my stomach thinking about that and how you know, I get met with doc patients that I meet, like, see, like we do it all coaching. We don't, we don't bill insurance. I, I see people distantly all through the world. So I can't bill across borders, like in third parties, which is, which allows me to spend more time with them. But the, the whole point is, is that um, with, with the, um, with, with reimbursements, they are deciding on, um, I'll say, Hey, get this test done. My doctor, like I, I can, I can do a um, a test for you with a a, a co-op, and we it's going to be a cash price. It will be greatly discounted. But ask your doctor if you can do this. And I would always be surprised, like why are their doctors not running the test? Like this is you need this, and they'll say, well, you don't need this. It's not important. You don't need this. And then when I was talking to the doctor, the light bulb went off. Where, in a way it cuts into their reimbursement fee schedule. If they go beyond the, what the standard of care and what the, you know, the, the ICD-9 or the insurance codes are and what it allows. I don't know if maybe you, do you speak of that or do you, does that incorporate into your mission? Yeah, it, it's, it's all, it's all revolved around how much can I bill? How much is, they, and not everyone is evil but they don't realize like I, it's like, if you watch the movie, the matrix, they're plugged in and they have lost scope of what reality is. So I have friends, good friends who I know are good people, but they are focused so much on operating within the system that they forget that operating outside of it is even a possibility. So it skews their decision-making lens. Therefore they think through the lens of what the insurance will cover. My mom uh, recently diagnosed with stage three cancer, colon cancer. 
and she's got a good prognosis. She's fighting hard. We're at the doctor's <laughs> earlier this week because she's not having a good reaction to chemo. And there's an entire argument around chemo that we could go into. And uh, the doc was like, oh, I think she needs this medicine. And the assistant said, oh, but that's not covered. Okay, let's try something else. So I said, whoa, whoa. If that's the medicine that she needs, let's just talk about what it would take to get that. And it was like something like $200 for the month. Now, for some people, there might be a real issue with that. But for others, that's a matter of priority. 200 bucks is a matter of a priority, not I can't afford that or not for most people in America. So they were going to pass over the medicine that they actually felt my mother needed simply because it was not covered. That's not reverse engineering. What do I need to make this woman feel better? And then just committing to a plan of action. It's always playing with inside the rules of the game. And we need to literally completely exit the game. I do not find any in between. So my, my role for the, my goal for the future is to accrue the resources needed to and attract the, the talent and the team needed to build the hospital of the future. And I, I don't have the answers for all of that now. It's a, it's a huge audacious goal. It might be even a little bit ridiculous for a physical therapist to say that out loud, but I know that it needs to be built without any carrying over any assumptions from this broken model. And only then, like imagine what a hospital would look like and how it would function if we built it, reverse engineering it for actually helping people. Because all it is right now is built through the lens of the insurance model. Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are great points. And just one more thing I wanted to add where I think the chiropractic profession and also the physical therapy, more of the alternative, uh, which is an alternative if more people are seeing them for visits over the years, but they still call it alternative. So we have to do our licensing and every two years you need to have 40 CEUs and they're the same ones, Frank, you know, they're the record keeping, documentation, medical errors, risk management, all, which is good. You, you need those. Yeah. Um, but the ones that I want to poke my eyes out with are the ones that teach you how to game, not so much, I won't say gamify, teach you how to write out a proper uh, HICVA form so that you have a diagnosis that matches what you're going to be doing with this person. Um, and so you can bill a service for the neck area, and then I can bill another service for the back area. So you have to have all these pointers. And it's in that way, it, it's good because you want to make sure you're, you're doing a uh, a um, assessment and, and validating that there's limitations and, and problems with function and you don't have the ability to do these things. Um, but sometimes it becomes like, like I know that medical doctors aren't doing this at their, at their conventions because they hire their staff that do this. And I think it should be mandatory teaching for them as well because of this main reason is, is that you need those outcome measures right? So that you get reimbursed on success. And the person who's getting the, the, the min, whatever the 13, 14, $15 an hour job, who's deciding whether or not they should approve of your continuation of care, um, understands, hey, this person's getting better. They're showing defined outcomes. They're saying that they're moving forward, but they still have limitations on here. Do, do, do you see that that's part of um, the problem or 
Um, do you see that that's part of what you're doing with your providers? Or I guess, I guess the question is, how do you see that fits in with either fixing the broken system or correcting the broken system? I believe that the system is so broken that it needs to crumble. I don't believe that there can be a recovery of it. Um, outcome measures, in quote, air quotes, as, as dictated by insurance companies, I played that game back when I was still in the, it's not reflective of reality. There is not one provider who is actually filling that out in line with what the client actually looks like because the insurance company has put markers to deny anyone care based off of these things. So it's not actually about the client. It is, it's like a tripwire. It's like a trick who the companies have placed in to simply find ways to justify denying care. It is not actually about justifying. The insurance companies are the closest thing we have right now to, let's um, uh, see an analogy here. The book that started all of this was Blueprint for Revolution. And it was, basically how nonviolent small groups of extraordinarily passionate nonviolent communities were able to throw overthrow dictators and violent dictators people who killed people at, in masses the insurance companies our modern medical systems like big hospital systems they're the closest thing to dictators that i believe the modern world has and uh you don't negotiate with the dictator you cannot reform a dictator you overthrow a dictator. And that's what we need to do to this current system from start to finish. No, it's awesome. And I wanna get into, get into, okay, well, if I'm suffering and I'm exhausted and I'm burnt out, and this is only gonna make me more stressed, exhausted and burnt out because I can't find the person who, who's outside of the matrix and took the blue pill and you know so forth. Well, only other thing I wanted to add was I did feel that way where like if I can hop on one foot and tap my stomach and pass, press my head and the stars in the mood aligned and you know it didn't rain that day, I could be anointed with two extra visits from that client. You know what I mean? It was just like screw that like and that's the sad part is is that the really good providers and the empathic doctors that really give a shit and want people to get better that you can't play that game. Like I, I'm not, I don't want to have my handcuffs tied so that I can't deliver what I need to deliver for you because insurance says that you do, or you don't need it, or you only need one more visit to get better. So now what are, what are sort of like the solutions to that you're doing to be able to improve the way that healthcare is delivered and, get the better outcome yeah. with that being said. Yeah. So, so swinging towards more positivity, what do I imagine? I imagine a world where each provider has carved out a specific niche, either in the form of an identity that they serve or a specific problem that they serve, just like you. When you dedicate yourself to either a population or a problem, you put yourself in a position to be world-class and to create what they actually need not just slap a, slap a price tag on your price point, uh, on your skill sets, not just slap a price point on your skill sets. So then working backwards, part of innovation, this is the talk that I, you would see me give to Craig, part of innovation is demonetization. So a lot of times when we hear of medical providers exiting the traditional system, that typically meant that they went to this super high cost outlandish model, like, you know, it's going to cost $10,000 to have this private 
you know, doctor on your team or some, some really crazy expensive thing. And some solutions will need to be expensive, but true innovation is always on the path of demonetization. Demonetization is, is the art of maintaining or even improving results while making it continually cheaper. And the rest of the world operates like this. Tesla has created a electric car that's cool that is getting progressively cheaper over time. The Model Y, the Model 3, 30, 40, $50,000. They're working on another one, 20 or 30,000. Innovation always needs to end with demonetization. It doesn't mean you need to be cheap, especially to start. You might need to launch higher ticket to perfect what people need. After helping 10,000 people, chances are you could probably create a different version of that, a packaged version of it, or have different options for different income levels so that there is something that they can access no matter what income level they have. Yeah, no, it's a great answer. I mean, you look at the example of like the big screen TV that was $5,000 that you can get for $600 now. But in this case, it's delivering a service that's more impactful, that's more effective. So one of the things that I really love, and I do this with my program, is I have created a membership site with module systems where you talk about where you're going to, wherever, like one of the speakers in the, in the group, which Frank, his name was Frank also. And he mentioned, if you say something once more than once, that's got to be a standard operating procedure, but it's the same thing. When I work with clients that have these unique susceptibilities, unique environmental things, I still want the foundational things for everyone. So 60 to 80% of the content that we deliver can be applied to everyone in terms of, hey, we got to have great, good, you know, gut health, absorption, mindset. So I don't want to say all the things that I want to say for that. What have you found just generically across all your specialties with people that work with you, especially for people that are exhausted and burnt out and, and yeah. you were sort of there yourself? What are those core competencies that people need to be aware of that would be in those module systems in general for those that are exhausted and burnt out that you found? I believe the, the four pillars of health, no matter what niche, no matter what problem, encompass some weighting of these four things. And depending on the niche and depending on the problem, one of these might take in more weight than the other. So my belief is that we have movement as, as the first pillar. We have nutrition as the second pillar. We have uh, behavior change as the third pillar. And I know this could be considered blended with the third, but the fourth is really mental health or mindset. And the combination of those four things is really life-changing. And you know, before anybody here thinks like, oh, that's not my scope of practice, it is in your scope of practice to advise someone and create a habit tracker on eating less processed food. It is in your scope of practice to help somebody learn how to get seven hours to eight hours of sleep. It is in your practice to help them practice a gratitude journal. I'm not talking about pretending to be a counselor or a mental health professional. I'm not advocating that you false advertise, but I am advocating that you look at the minimum viable services that people need in these four categories and chances are whoever it is that you're serving, or if you're a client right now listening, if you just get outside and walk more, if you exercise, do some yoga, 
weight train, do some cardio, whatever it is that you might need. If you eat more natural foods, if you just eat things actually from the ground, if you, you know, commit to a series of behaviors that help you get a full night's sleep, minimize technology and, um, and reinforce the behaviors around your nutrition and your, and your movement, and you practice some sort of self-care for your mental health, chances are 80% of your issues will go away. 20%, those are the genetic, those are the external, and I'm not minimizing your situation if that's you, but there's probably a large degree of your symptoms that can be managed by those other four pillars. It's awesome. It's awesome information. And uh, I would just echo the exact same sentiment, Frank, in terms of we're always looking for that shiny object, right? And it, to your point, in terms of the broken system and tests that don't necessarily help or that don't give us more information, at the end of the day, like if you're looking at these shiny objects and you're not focusing on your mental health or you're in a really poor relationship or you have a job that you hate or you don't get off the couch or you don't you don't get nature that your Nona would would food that your grandmother would recognize as real food, you're yep. going to have health challenges for sure. So so you're do you when you work with your 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 clients do you help them set up those four pillars, even though each one of their unique selling points are different or how do you do, how do you yeah. do that? Yeah. So what's really cool is I take a lot of pride and we do not template any one model. So I take people through a process that helps bring out the business and the treatment model that's inside of them. So I don't believe in the McDonald's or Dunkin' Donuts of healthcare where we're all just doing the same thing but instead working through a process that allows people to bring their unique methods into the world in a way that's monetizable, sustainable, and also gives a good life for the provider because we tend to be martyrs and self-sacrifice in our, in our desire to help. So uh, we, we, we recommend people consider these things. We recommend a host of delivery mechanisms, meaning I don't preach just digital. I don't preach just brick and mortar. I love the mixed model. You know, either one-on-one sessions on Zoom plus course plus behavior tracker or physical exercise programming plus behavior change plus mindset plus seminar, you know, in-person quarterly. I believe in, in mixed model delivery mechanisms and waiting where your particular um, niche needs you to be. So if you are working with ACL post-operative ACL recoveries, which has extraordinarily high re-injury rate because the physical therapy system is so broken. That's going to be a heavy movement based intervention, but we also know that their nutrition choices are correlated. We also know that the way they move is dictated by fear avoidance mindset. So if somebody hops on the field and they are petrified, they're actually more likely to get injured than somebody who's confident. So the, the weighting might be really heavy on, on physical there, but we need to build in the rest of those. Otherwise it's really an insufficient model. Now, somebody working more towards like obesity, nutrition obviously is going to be the heavier weight there. So everybody's got to decide where they fit. And sometimes it comes in phases. We might need to go through a season where this is most important and a season where something else is most important. 
Yeah, no, I love that. And it's awesome. It's amazing information. And, and you're a real treasure to interview and to be able to provide this service. And I, that any way I could help out with your mission and, and it lines, I, I'd be excited to. The, the, the one thing I want to tell you, Frank, that really lit me up with Craig's uh, presentation was when we were talking about marketing and you were talking how mission always goes first. It's not about you, it's about them. So one of the things that I find with people that are exhausted and burnt out and cortisol is just either going through the roof or it's flatlined or it's maladaptive, um, it really impacts that front part of the brain. And that's the focus, concentration, motivation, drive, reasoning, sequential planning, all those types of things. So when I asked potential clients, hey, if we had a magic wand here, and we were able to wave it, what would you do that you can't do now? And they're like, you know what, I don't even know. Like, I, I haven't even thought about that. I just know what I don't want. It's not what I want. I just know what I don't want. So maybe we can speak to that on not so much the person, the healthcare provider that would be interested in your program, which is awesome. And I hope that people are listening to that would, you know, be able to follow up and, and research you and I'll provide all the links to do that. But how can we adapt that to what you teach in that way, mission, purpose, for a outcome strategy or therapeutic modality for those that are exhausted and burnt out and say, well, I can't do that yet because I have to have this first. And I always tell about ready, fire, aim, not ready, aim, fire. So, you know, and I say that's part of the reason why, Mrs. Jones, you're not getting there is you're looking in the rear view doing this, you know, like you can't do that. You got to know where it is you want to go so that you could reverse engineer that. So maybe you could speak a little bit about how important that is for the exhausted person, what that really entails. Yeah. So I believe if you are exhausted, when I was exhausted, I was 30 years old. I created a uh, what I call life design. And a life design is a super on the ground description of what you want life to look like in one year. And I specifically say one year because sometimes I think when we set goals, we only set the big ones. I want to lose 50 pounds. I want to be a millionaire. I want to run a marathon. And really what the best goal, the Goldilocks goal, not a goal that's too big, not a goal that's too small, the right size goal is the most motivating one. So you have to get really clear on what you want your life to look like. And I'm talking on a daily basis on the ground. Then once you have a clear picture of that, it provides a roadmap of who you should enlist to help you achieve that. So you cannot know who to trust as your coach, as your medical professional, if you don't know exactly where you want to go. So take the time to really think about where you want to be in one year. And then unrestricted from your insurance coverage, start the search for who might be the best next person to enroll in your team. Now, cool thing about the internet and the digitalization that's happened because of COVID the only positive of this whole horrific scenario situation worldwide is that more providers than ever created a digital presence. Therefore, you, the person who's tired and burnt out, have lots of options. So you have Dr. Joel right here in front of you. If maybe you need a cardiologist and you, know, you don't need to go to the crappy cardiologist down the block anymore, you could find the cardiologist matches with your philosophy or Joel's philosophy, the philosophy of your team. 
and you can build a team around your specific needs because the barriers have been broken down. You can access basically anyone. Yeah, I found that to be so I had already made the pivot already, but it just like I would do consults and like, well, there's no one in my area and like, well, I'm in everyone's area. I just got to get at the end of this and it became more acceptive. Um, one thing I yeah. want to echo, though, for you is I recently hired a coach. I was a personal trainer. I have like a certified strength and conditioning, you know, background, which is top notch. You know, that's what you need if you want to be the strength and conditioning coach for the New York Jets or whatever. Right. You need to have your CSCS, which you have to have an exercise physiology degree to do that. But I still hired a coach um, to help me bring my body fat down again because I don't have all the answers, number one. And number two, my sphere of excellence is helping other people. And I don't want to expand my bandwidth too much that led to my own burnout to begin with. But the whole point, Frank, is one of the, in our enrollment call, was one of the main differences that made a difference already before I even started the program where I knew it was going to be helpful. And it was just the words like, like if I'm at 20% body fat, I want to get down to 10% body fat. I got to eat like someone who has 10% body fat. I can't eat yeah. like I, someone that has 20%. And I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, like I'm eating like someone that has 20% body fat. Like I got to, and that was kind of like what you're saying is if you want to get somewhere in a year, you need to help you work with someone that has that frequency. And, and then you can, like, I always say like, you know, the, the, the glass that, you know, that opera singer who, who belches out a tone at the same pitch as the glass causes that glass to break. That's coherence, right? So you want to get coherence with a coach that has the frequency that you want so you can align your frequency to that pitch and create a bigger amplitude. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's all about finding the team that matches with your personal viewpoints and your belief patterns. It's really, really important. So, so a question I have in terms of your big, hairy, audacious, 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 what's audacious, the word? Yeah. Audacious goal is, um, so I, I like the idea of insurance companies demonetizing and increasing their results and decreasing their costs but not actually necessarily decreasing their profits. And I always wondered why, like, can they not just switch their model and, and give discounts to people that be proactive and pass that savings on to them. But at the same time, they can also save a lot of money on unnecessary procedures that, you know, a penny earned is a penny saved. Is that part of your mission statement as well to kind of get into the way, topple the system and then repurpose the way that third parties do um, pay for services? Do you know that, do you know how much profit United Healthcare had in uh, Q2 of 2020? No, I have no idea. Take a guess. United Healthcare in, I would say, 2020. Oh, well, with COVID going on, um, I, I would say 100 million? $6.7 billion. Okay, right. $6.7 billion from one health insurance company in one quarter. The quarter prior to that, 
was 3.4 billion. They are not interested in reducing their profits. Stealing a line from the matrix, what do all men with power want? More power. More power, More power right. More power. Yeah. We do not negotiate with dictators. They are not interested in helping you. Gotcha. They think they're too big to fail. And just like the banks, just like lots of other examples from history, they, they, it's inevitable that they will. We just need thousands of healthcare professionals to exit the system and make it unstable. We need tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of patients to exit the system and choose to go independent. The only way that can happen is if we all demonetize to a degree so that regular people could afford healthcare that's a better quality outside of the current health insurance system. Only when their profits start to shrink, will they change. And I don't trust that they will change for the better, even in that circumstance. My hope is that they fall. Yeah, I mean, you have to be realistic about it. I tend to be the rosy colored glasses guy, you know, um, but as far as um, I always say, like the, at the, what happens at the cellular level happens at the 40,000 view foot level, right? And, you know, meaning like it, your cells need to communicate, they need to think outside the box, they need to be optimized, and that needs to happen at the 40,000 view foot level of the way healthcare is being delivered. One of the object, one of the main objections I would imagine you have is the brainwashing of the sick person who is on limited income, who who feels that if it's paid for by my insurance, that's what I got to do. And they may not invest in their health because that's, you know, I tell people like, did your insurance pay for your car? Did it pay for your, edu you know, your education? Did it pay for, you, you know, no. So, but you found it valuable to do that. But how do you overcome that? Like the conditioning of this is what insurance pays for. So I do this and I don't do that. In some circumstances, that's going to remain true for quite some time until we demonetize to new levels, which takes time. In other circumstances, the, it's really us as marketers of our health, new innovative healthcare businesses to help them understand the cost equivalent. So the average person has a $2,000 deductible. The average person has a $50 copay. If you come to, let's just say, use physical therapy again as an example. If you come to a physical therapist and you see them twice a week for 10 weeks and you add up the deductible and the copays, compare that to a $250 a month membership. We're not even in the ballpark. We are significantly demonetized from that already. And it's at a, it breaks the time for money continuum for the provider which allows them more free time to invest in discovering what is the best possible solution for my audience. Positive momentum. As they continue to figure out the best possible solution, they can have the opportunity to demonetize to a new level. That's, that's the answer for our lower income populations. 
Right. Yeah. And it takes time and education and a lot of elbow grease behind it as well. But I love I love the mission. And I think it's awesome that that you're doing this. As far as you know, I always ask my clients like you had your own health challenges. And I say like, okay, you're the sage like Frank now. What would you have told the younger, I always call it the bright eyed and bushy tailed Frank that would have helped you progress your health a lot quicker, faster, further that you didn't know then that you know now? Good question. Um, when I first started to get healthy and when I turned 30, I blindly trusted the system and I was put on all sorts of medications. I was put on all sorts of medications. It was only when I took things into my own hands, still trusting professionals, but no longer just going to who was near me, who would accept my insurance, that I actually began to heal. Um, so my recommendation to me, if it was going back, was to find more natural interventions and be your own advocate because you can no longer just blindly trust the way our parents and our grandparents did in the very different generation of doctors that existed 20, 30, 50 years ago. Yeah, that's, that's wise. And, and making that even more debilitating is the perfect storm of environmental triggers that we never had back then. You know, EMFs, yeah. pesticides, um, chemicals, all these things like social media, and not even that, I mean, the way that the, the um, you know, that experiment where you, you kind of only present certain news to people that click in certain ways, it, it just creates much more chaos if you do follow that same pattern that our parents did. It's even worse. It's even more gloom and doom. So, Frank, I, listen, I, I could talk to you forever. I want to know, like, how do people get in contact with you, especially if they're a provider and, and they're looking to um, make a difference, but also deliver a, a better quality service and have it be win-win for everyone? Yeah. If you're a healthcare provider, you're looking to reimagine and repackage your skill set. I put out an insane amount of free information on my personal Instagram account, Frank underscore Benedetto, Frank underscore Benedetto. And we also host a, uh, a, a weekly live training inside of our free Facebook group, which is called Private Practice 2.0, a, a group for disruptive healthcare entrepreneurs. And uh, Joel, I'll send you that link. You can include it in the bio, that'd be cool. And um, anybody here, just reach out, say hello, always down to have a good conversation. Awesome. And then as far as on the flip side, on the consumer point of view, where they're exhausted and burnt out, do you have a library of different niched professionals that have gone through your program that potentially people can, aside from adrenal fatigue, of course, that they can look for um, in terms of uh, certain health challenges that they have, that they have? Yeah, absolutely. We do. We actually do have a directory. I would love to get you on the directory. And, and so people can find you yeah, well, we got to talk. We got to talk again. I, I don't think our conversation ends here for sure. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if you're a consumer, happy to try to help match you with a provider that, that you're, that might be building something for you. Awesome. Well, listen, I, I, you can see why you're doing so well and you have a lot of energy and, and I'm really happy that happy that you've taken this direction in your life and you've spent the time to share with me and I wish you future success in, in, in all your endeavors that you do in the future. 
Thank you so much, Joel. Appreciate you having me today. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism, and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.